Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, we come to you this morning. We are thankful to be in your house, thankful to be together. Reminded that you instituted your church, your group of believers to do life together. And we're excited, Lord, to be in your house this morning. May your words be powerful in our lives today. As Lord, as we sit around the table this morning, may we be reminded of the sacrifice given for each of us. As we look at your word, Lord, may we be reminded of the way that you love us that you care over us and the way that you have commanded us to do those things for others. In your name we pray. Amen. You may remember that last, last week we talked about Acts chapter 1 and what was going on there. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you my spirit. And that's some pretty cool reading. It's in the, the whole chapter of uh, chapter 2. I want to go to the end of uh, to verse 37. If you get a chance to read all that other, it's, it's pretty powerful, but I want, to, I want to focus on 37 to 47 this morning. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God add his blessing to the reading as we prepare our hearts where we come to that point in the day where we get to hear from your words. That moment, Lord, where we gather and spend some time just listening for your voice. We have sat around your table. We have sang your praises. Speak to us. Speak to each of us this morning. Lord, I pray that my words would be the words that you would have to be spoken. 
that your words would be the ones that we would hear. That, Lord, we would be reminded of what it means to be the church. Help us to see it through your eyes. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, That's a bad day. Thank you. Is there two of them, Ken? Okay. See you, Lou. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry, I got to push this back so I don't. It's going to be bad if I hit it with my arm or something. You're planning on a little extra activity with the sermon today. We're dancing today, Ken. Oh, boy. Not really. I'm joking. I knew I should have <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a PowerPoint? Can we get a PowerPoint? So I have a question for you this morning. Let's just say for a minute, or maybe a second, or maybe an hour, that you have been given all the resources needed, all the resources needed to build the perfect church. There are no money constraints, there are no time constraints. You can build it any way you like. What would your church look like? Now, before you answer that, I'm going I'm to talk a little bit about, I want you to think about that as, as I'm talking. Would it be loaded with music 24-7, with a group of people playing that you could walk into the sanctuary at any given time, sing God's praises, come to the altar and pray, would the, would the sanctuary be so beautiful that you would be awestruck as you walk through the doors? I went to a, a, a sanctuary once where when you walked in the front door, and I don't even know where, it, I don't know where it's at, it, but when you walked in the front door, there was this optical illusion that the, sanctuary, that the altar was, was up. What they had done was they did, the architecture was so... Uh, finely done that when you walked in, it felt like the sanctuary was on, was on a, almost like a ramp. But when you, as you began to walk up there, it, didn't, it was not. It was perfectly flat. But because the architecture was such a way, it felt like the altar was up above where you were. When you turned around, it just was perfectly flat. But when you walked up, your eyes did this optical illusion that it was would you put in stained glass? We know a lot of the older uh, cathedrals had beautiful stained glass. But maybe it has nothing to do with form. Maybe it's all about function. Maybe you would put in a hundred classrooms. Or maybe you would have a hundred programs. What would your church, okay, now this is a moment for you to think and throw a little feedback. What would your church look like? What would the blueprint for your church be? See, because it's really easy to say, well, I just go to my church. But then if you had the chance and opportunity to design that church, what would it look like? 
Brian, what would yours look like? Crosses all over the front, back door, side, every door? Okay, cool. We only have a couple. We have a couple. Is that all right? Okay, thanks. Just want to make sure, make sure we're all right. Simple. Not an easy, it's not an easy question to answer, is it? Because it's, it's easy when we just kind of come into our church. But if we were to design a church and we had all those things, all those liberties given to us, it'd be a challenge to try to figure out what a church might look like. And so now I'm going to challenge you a little further, right? Because we're, we're looking at a passage where Jesus is... We, you remember last week in chapter 1, Jesus was back on earth. He's alive. He's there for 40 days, and he says, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit, and he goes up in the midst of that. And then we know what happens in chapter 2. You may remember what happens in chapter 2. If you haven't read that, I encourage you to read it. It talks about the Holy Spirit coming on God's people. And there was this, this mighty, what's he called, uh, mighty wind and fire. I, I, I think sometimes we make it out to be this... Uh, happy time, I think it was a very powerful time. I just can't believe it. It wasn't something extremely powerful that happened in the church that day. It says, violent winds and fire. That's how uh, humans were able to explain it. And the Holy Spirit came upon God's people. And at that moment, those who were believers were infilled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, he preached a pretty good sermon, right? And that's kind of where we're at today. He preached this great sermon with a lot of power. And at verse 37, the people, it says, the people were cut to the heart. I'm going to ask you a question and maybe challenge you a little bit. When was the last time you were cut to the heart in a spiritual way? The King James says, pricked in the heart. When's the last time you were stung to the core by God? See, because I think sometimes we get in the rut of going to church and sitting in a pew and doing our hour of service, maybe our hour of Sunday school, and then we roll back out and we go and to do our own thing again, week after week after week, after week. And then we ask the simple question, God, why aren't you working in my life? These people were stung to the core. They knew something big had happened, and they could sense it. They were cut to the heart. And this is what they said. What do we do now? Right? What do we do now that we have been cut to the heart? Verse 38 says, Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Did you see that part? It's not about a social club, right? It's about this Jesus Christ who had died and raised again. And they saw that and they experienced that. And they were reminded that that was the name. That was the name that they would place their hope on. They were stung to the core. And so I asked you that first question, what would your church look like? 
Maybe we'll put electric shock into the, in the pews. What do you think of that idea? Stung to the core. <laughs> right? So what is our church going to look like if it's powerful enough to challenge people's hearts where they are and move them in a different direction? These people did a 180. They said, what do we have to do next? And Peter says, repent. Repent means to turn around and go the other direction. That's all you got to do, he says. Repent. But these, I, I just can't get past the part that these people's hearts were moved in a very powerful way. So this morning, my challenge for you is to think about what the church looks like the blueprints of today's church. And it's my contention that it has nothing, nothing to do with the building. And that your church is all about you and the people who are in it. God's church, right? It's not about Baptists. It's about church, those who have decided that they were going to follow Jesus. That is the church. And so this blueprint that, that God puts out in front of the early church. This is the first church, if you didn't get that. This is the first church. These people are the first people who are going to really be organized and have a group together, the church. And so there are three questions that came out of this passage for me. And the first question is this. Is my gospel for everyone? Gospel, God's story in my life. Is God's story, is my story, my story about God's story in my life for everyone? Verse 39 says this, The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. They say that that probably had something to do with the Jews who had been uh, dispersed or were going to be dispersed and just not everybody that would have been right there. Is the gospel for everyone? I'm not asking that question in a deep theological way. There are some who say that there are the elect, those are the ones God calls, and the others are out. I'm not, I'm not going that far. The scripture says, for all who the Lord our God will call. He took care of that part. I'm asking about your gospel in the world you live in today. You saw that countdown timer. The countdown timer was talking about work as worship. Is your gospel a gospel that someone else would like to be a part of? Does the blueprint of your life look like God in any way, shape, or form? You may remember the Apostle Paul, one of the most prolific guys in the, in the New Testament who would end up writing, I don't, the 13, 14 books, depends on... Uh, a lot of books, more, more than half of the New Testament. There was the situation where he was blinded. Do you, re do you remember that story? It comes up in Acts 9. We're not going to get to there. Uh, we're not going to go that far, but if you'd like to read that story. This is Saul at the time who is persecuting God's people. And he's, he's an intelligent guy. He's a learned guy. Uh, and he's driven. He's driven to take out God's people. So much so that he would go to the courts, get a piece of paper, 
that said he could go after Christians, and then he would take out and go after them. Scripture says that he was there at Stephen's stoning, that he held the cloaks of the men who threw the rocks. This Saul, God would use him. So this Saul is going down the road to Damascus. He's headed to cause more trouble. Doing what he thought was his blueprint for God's plan when he was blinded. Absolutely blinded. Falls down blinded. Can't walk. Has to be have his hand held and, and walked. Taken to a place. There's a, there's a little piece of that story that's really cool. It's a guy by the name of Ananias in chapter 9. And God calls, comes to him and he says, he comes to him in a vision. He says, Ananias, how would you like that? How would you like to be sitting at your house? And God says, Dan? <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, right? He says, and this is how Ananias responds. He says, yes, Lord. The Lord says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I think that's a tongue twister. Go to the house on Judas of Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying there, and I want you to, uh, to pray for him, lay hands on him, and his sight will be restored. You know what Ananias' first response to God is? Yikes, right? Yikes. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. I know this Saul. I know this guy. He has a reputation. He's after believers. And you want me to do what? You want me to go and share and stand there and lay hands on this guy who when he gets his, if he were to get his sight, is going to take me out? And he was challenged, and I don't know about you, but I would be challenged in that moment. If I was there and God was saying, I want you to go to this guy who hates you and lay hands on him so he gets his sight back. But you know what Ananias did? He did it. He went. He trusted God. He realized that God's plan was bigger than his. He realized that his story, the gospel story, would bring Saul out of his blindness. And that Saul, who would change his name to Paul, would flip the world upside down with the way he took the gospel to the Gentiles. Was Ananias' gospel for everyone, including Saul? How about the Sauls in your life? How about the neighbors that you just can't stand? Or the people that just drive you crazy? Those you have to work with. Or your family. I always get to say you get to pick your friends, but you don't get to pick your family, right? <laughs> right? Those people that make us crazy. Is the gospel for them? How about those who don't have like minds or don't think like you think? What do you do with those people? Is the gospel still good for them? 
Scripture here says the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. So Thursday, Thursday I had a long day. I'm down in Beaver Falls. I'm, there's one road from Beaver Falls to 79. It's about 25 minutes of one lane. You never know what you're, it's a crapshoot. You might just get a free ride and go up through the mountains. You might, I almost hit a bear there one night. Thursday afternoon, I'm tired, and I'm, wanna, I'm it's about 5 o'clock, 5.30, and I want to get home. Of course, I'm driving the hot rod, and that's not good for me because it's got a big, fat front. And all of a sudden, I come up on this car. It's a little Yaris. I don't know if you know what a Toyota Yaris is, or a Yaris, as my son-in-law says. It's a little car. And I don't know, I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> But I may have come up a little bit fast. I don't know. I just—I really wasn't paying attention. I was just like listening to music, getting home. And this Yaris is doing about 40 mile an hour. And all of a sudden, the Yaris brake lights come on. And I'm like, obviously, it's an old guy who doesn't know how to use a turn signal or something, right? That's what I thought. That's what, I thought. That's what I'm thinking. I said, I'm thinking, don't you know I have to get home to my wife? I haven't seen her all day, and I want to see her. This guy hits the brakes, and he slows down. He slows to about 20. I'm like, he's got to turn somewhere. He slows down to like 10. Now I'm starting to get a little irritated. Now he slows down to five. And then he just stops. He doesn't turn. Obviously, he had, didn't like that I came up on him a little too close. And you know how you get in that moment of like, hmm, if he gets out of that car, he's in trouble. <laughs> That's what, I've had a long day, right? <laughs> if he gets out of the car, I'm driving around him. No. <laughs> and all those things are running through your mind at that one second. You're like, oh, he doesn't have a gun. Oh, he doesn't, you know, I don't even know what I did. And, and then he just starts to gas back up and go. I'm like, I, so then I finally, I must have been a little thick in the head. I, I finally figured out that I must have been the problem. <laughs> My big front end, he must not have enjoyed in his mirror view mirror. And so what I, I did what everybody else would do. I know what you guys were thinking I did. I didn't do that. I went like this. <laughs> and then I proceeded to follow him for the next 20 miles because there's only one lane and one road and there's no, there are no other ways to go, right? And I know... I had to ask myself, was, was, was my gospel for him? Was the way I acted or reacted the way Jesus would want me to react? Hopefully, I didn't say anything bad. I didn't do anything bad. I may have offended him, obviously, at some point in that altercation. But we all survived. But it reminded me of those people that we come in contact with on any given day. Those people we get behind in Walmart whose basket is full to the top and they take them one at a time out of there. I swear I know where every one of those people are in the world. <laughs> or maybe I'm just a little bit in a hurry, right? No, they know where you are. Yeah. <laughs> they stand there and wait and they're like, <laughs> just let me go. <laughs> And I'm reminded that this world is not about me and what I do at Walmart. And that I am the church, whether I'm at church 
or I'm at Walmart, or I'm on the road in my car, or I'm at Sunday school, or I'm spending time with my family. Because that's the blueprint God made for us. That we, church, people who believe that Jesus died on the cross, are the church. And that's the first part of this blueprint that he has set for us. We are the blueprint. And sometimes that's challenging for me. Second question that this passage asks is, am I devoting time to my faith? Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. Our Sunday school, my Sunday school class, has spent considerable time. We're about to start a book about discernment, about discerning God's direction in life. And I don't know that I've ever found a more complex perspective, or a process in the Christian faith. It seems easy to, to make your way to faith. It seems sometimes challenging to discern where God would have you to go next. What does he want me to do with my life? And, I don't, and it's not only us. I read scripture and you see these people trying to figure out what is God going to do? Where does God want me to be? Am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Am I not? The one thing I have learned in our Sunday school class till, to this point is this. If you want to discern God's plan for your life, you have to devote time to him. You have to study the scriptures. You have to pray about it. You have to spend time and energy asking and seeking where he would have you to go. If you don't do that, it's going to be hard to discern anything. And you're going to be in that wash of just going in a circle trying to figure out where God wants to lead, God wants to lead, God wants to lead. I, and I would even go so far as saying that that is the discernment process. The discernment process is this. I'm putting it in front of you, God, and I know you have the right answer. I know you have the path, and I know you have the plan. And I'm going to keep putting it in front of you day after day after day. I'm going to keep seeking you day after day after day. To me, that's what the discernment looks like. That's the process. The process isn't some magical book. It isn't some magical three-step plan. It isn't some magical, well, if you do this and you eat food at the right time and get enough sleep, God will sort it all out. No. It's so simple, no one wants to try it. It's taking it to God. It's seeking his face in prayer. It's reading scripture and working hard to understand. And it's fellowship together with other believers. I think we miss that part a lot. Fellowship together with other believers. If you think you're going to grow and never be surrounded or involved or spend any more than one hour a week with believers you are sorely mistaken. This scripture reminds me that they devoted time and energy. They devoted time and energy to their faith. If you look at your Connect card, and I don't usually spend much time or energy on there, 
I'm going to challenge you this morning. The second one says, I am committing to spend blank days in prayer scripture. I don't care what number you put there. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to put a number there and see what God does with it. Because my God, he never, he never misses the boat. He never forgets you. He's always faithful. Last Sunday, do you remember what happened last Sunday? I didn't even, this is not a part of the sermon. This is an extra. You guys, are in, you guys got a, a bonus today. Do you remember when we talked about, I prayed at the end, I asked, I said, I prayed to God about putting people in our path to share our faith. Do you remember that? We talked about it on Wednesday, and then we talked about it again on Sunday. I need to let you know how my God works. Monday morning, 8 o'clock, I didn't even have to go looking. They came looking for me. I don't know if you know, but we got brand new neighbors across the street. Brand new neighbors. I have not even met the husband. But the wife texted me at 8 o'clock on Monday morning, and she said, I need some help. Would you mind coming over and helping me with something? God put a person in my path. I didn't even go looking for that person. I was sitting in my office trying to behave, trying to get some things done. And God put someone in my path. And I thought, my, the very first thought was, how am I going to be Jesus to this, this couple? They're a very young couple. And here's what happened. They had a bunch of millings. I don't know, you, you'll, there's a bunch of like, it's road, it's road uh, pavement. And it was in a big pile and she was out there shoveling by hand. She's got two little guys, little like six months and two years. And she said, is there any chance you could grab the tractor? And I heard you might have a tractor and you might be able to move it. Of course, I'm not very good at it, but I, I did move it. I moved it for her. And this is what, she, so she said, let me give you some money for gas. And I said, you know what? My God, we, he doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He doesn't need your money. And then God opened up one more door that was really cool. Tom Barnett is home. And just happens to be that Tom drives by all the time. And Tom never stops without asking if it's something needs to be done, if there's somebody out there working on something. And sure enough, doesn't she get another load of millings the same day? And at that moment, I'm outside. I'm not even helping her. I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to get this done today. And Tom stops by and he says, do you need any help with anything? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I said, do you see that new couple and that new... I said, take your expertise of flattening driveways out, <laughs> which I don't have. I said, go over there and be the church. <laughs> and if you know much about Tom, it took about as long as it took to drive from here to his house, which is a quarter mile, to change his clothes and to be on the tractor, and I could hear the tractor coming right back down. This is, and then, of course, old Tom, he doesn't stop there. Tom realizes that after he gets it flat, that it needs rolled. Well, Tom doesn't have a roller anymore. He gave it away. But if you know Cowboy, that's his unbelieving neighbor next to him. <laughs> Two houses down. 
Cowboy comes down the road about an hour later. Here comes Cowboy in a roller, with a roller. So three people have interacted with the neighbor. <laughs> and God continued to unveil that. And that's exciting to me. And I pray that it's exciting to you to be the church. So if you want to know, I looked for the check your heart meter, right? What does it look like? What does my heart look like? And, and here's the verse that came to mind, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It says, do not store up your, for yourselves treasures in heaven or on earth, where moths and vermin destroy but where th- and thieves break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. That's a hard question. Where is your treasure? What's most important to you today? That's where your heart is. And finally, the last question here is, am I, ask, am I asking, am I helping to build the kingdom? Am I working to build the kingdom? In Scripture in 46 and 47 says, They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Maybe the first place we need to do this is with our own people, right? Our own family. Are we sitting around the table spending time together talking about God's goodness? Are we encouraging our kids when they have seen God working in and around us? Or even more so, when we have seen God working in our lives, are we sharing that with our kids to help them see that? And when was the last time you invited someone over to share a meal and talk about God's blessings? There's something powerful about sitting around the table sharing God's blessings. See, I think the problem is it looks a lot more like this than we'd like, right? And even when we do share around the table, we're, we're, we're struggling with the time and the energy, and I hope they leave in a half an hour because i got other things to do. And... So what's your blueprint look like? Are you, are we, Greenfield, designed like the original church? Are we doing what God would have us to do? Are we sharing our gospel story, our story of God's goodness in our life? Are we sharing that? Are you spending time in devotion to God? Spending time in Scripture. Spending time... I'll, I, I just have one more question. Have, when's the last time you had a good spiritual discussion with anyone? Talking about something that maybe bothers you or boggles your mind or trying to figure out 
well, how God is working in the midst of it. Some of the best discussions in my life have been with my wife. And you know what we do? I, I teased her the last time we went. I told her I put her in a car so she can't get out and she can't go nowhere and she has to listen to me. But that's the reality, right? Some of the best moments in our life have been in a car, driving somewhere, spending time when there's nothing else to distract us. And we can talk about those things where God is working and God is moving and, and trying to figure out where God wants us to be. Scripture says this is a corrupt world. This passage talks about save yourself from the corrupt world. If you want to save yourself from the corruption of this world, you need a relationship with Jesus. It's just that simple. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning and we're reminded of the, that blueprint. We're reminded, Lord, that you are such a great and powerful and mighty God that you love us so. We are thankful for your son Jesus, Lord, who would take it to the cross. Lord, for the opportunity to, that it changes our life. That is exciting to me. It's exciting, Lord, to see where you have moved us. And Lord, the hope that we have versus the no hope of a life without you. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who doesn't know who you are, who hasn't experienced that. Lord, if it's not faith in you if there's been no experience and change. Peter told them to repent. That means we have to recognize that we're not all that. We have to move through the pride of being who we are to realizing that we can't do it on our own. And so this morning, Lord, I pray for those who may be struggling with pride, that they can do it and they can figure it out. And for those, Lord, who feel that Christianity is weak, Lord, we are weak. We're broken people who are saved by your grace. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.